Imagine that your co-worker shares with you that he was recently baptized for the dead. What would you say? And what does that even mean? In today's episode, we'll talk about baptism for the dead and what Paul actually meant when he references this practice in 1 Corinthians 15.29. I'm joined today by Aaron Boyce from Salt Lake City, Utah. Aaron is part of a church planting organization called Plant for the Gospel, and he's been an active part of a church plant in Salt Lake City, a city that has a high condensed population of Mormons who actually practice a form of baptism for the dead that might be what comes to mind when most of us hear this phrase. So Aaron, thanks for being willing to talk with me here. And maybe you could just start by talking about what Mormons believe Mm -hmm. about baptism for the dead and whether or not that's something that's actually practiced Mm -hmm. by the average Mormon. Well, yeah, I'll start with the second question first. Uh, I happen to be a teacher, um, and several of my students um, are Mormon, are LDS. Um, They don't go by Mormon anymore, but that's kind of a a fairly recent thing, so it still still works. And... um, I remember vividly not only my own students being baptized um, in fourth grade, um, they would receive gifts and they were showing them off to me. It's kind of heartbreaking. But then also um, some of my older students who would go to the temple and frequent it in order to be baptized for the dead. So it's it's a very common practice. And um, even some of these students, um, you know, I would just say they're, they're not regenerate by the way that they live their mm-hmm. own lives. And so... Um, watching them be a part of some sort of rite like this um, in order to be baptized uh, for someone who is long gone was really interesting to me. And, um, and it's, not, it's not one of those off-the-wall doctrines that you hear about when you hear about Mormonism. It's, it's mm-hmm. something that's actively practiced and very important, very in, uh, integral to how they believe. So maybe I'll give the background just a little bit where it came from. Great. So um, part of Mormon theology, or at least what they would say is that, um, is that Elijah is, is this really key factor of kind of restoring, uh, the priesthood, the priesthood in Mormonism is different than what we would think of when we think of the Levitical priesthood or the Melchizedek priesthood. They, they play, they have a different take on both of them. Priesthood means authority. So if, if you are in a specific priesthood, the lower one is the Levitical, but the the uh, Melchizedek priesthood is something that's conferred upon you as you grow, especially um, as a man in Mormonism. And it's, it really is something that in Mormon theology, it, it kind of, the authority came and went and during various episodes, um, not only in the Old Testament, but also between basically the first century um, in, uh, early Christen- in early Christianity. And so that authority was lost until... Uh, it was re-inaugurated by Joseph Smith by way of Angel Moroni, who gave a revelation about Elijah. And part of that was, uh, be, so when you have that background, when, when the authority has been lost for such a long period of time, um, you have to account for, well, what do we do with all those who claim to be Christians between when uh, the great apostasy happened and uh, the 1800s when mm-hmm. Joseph Smith receive this revelation. And so that's something you're having to account for. What do we do with all these dead people <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, who claim to be Christians? Um, are they just, are they just lost forever? And so um, it's, it's, it's actually 
Joseph Smith um, made it a, a big point. It was almost like to on the same level as the Great Commission to be baptized for the dead. And you can look in um, 1 Corinthians 15 and see where it talks about that, which is I know why, why we're talking about this to begin with. Um, but it's it's so much more based on the doctrine and covenants, which is what I'm going to be referencing today. Okay, yeah. so, so the practice... Mm-hmm. May you know there there's a reference to First Corinthians fifteen sure. twenty nine, yeah. but it doesn't spring out of that verse. It's part of a larger idea of redemption and how to account for those yeah. who had a, a lack of revelation mm-hmm. or had been deceived by some level of apostasy. Yeah, great. Yeah, so Moroni basically uh, says, reading off the website, the following promises were revealed by Moroni. The priesthood was to be revealed by Elijah. Elijah would plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to their fathers, and the whole earth would be utterly wasted at the second coming if the hearts of the children and the hearts of the fathers were not turned to each other. And that is a biblical concept Mm of um, the father and children's hearts being turned toward one another. But what he means by that is that the children, it's, <laughs> the application is the children being baptized for the fathers, essentially. Yeah. Okay, so um, so it's their, one of their greatest missions is to be baptized for, uh, for people, which is why it's so important that they have genealogies. If you ever lived in Salt Lake City, Utah, some of the, um, the hubs for, for um, genealogies that, that you get online are actually based out of here because um, they want an accurate record of who preceded them so that they can be baptized by proxy, which is how they would say that. Um, and, and the word vicarious comes up as well. So this is a quote. When you, when you have gone as far as you can go, the names of your righteous dead who have embraced the gospel in the spirit world will be given you, uh, will be given you through the instrumentality of your dead kindred, but only the names of those who have received the gospel will be revealed. So, um, this idea of going back into the line of your family, being baptized for them, so that in the spirit realm they have a chance to hear the true re-inaugurated gospel, um, and in order to, you know, accept Christ more or less. So, when we're talking about the practice of baptism for the dead, mm-hmm. with respect to the Latter Day Saints, yeah. it's. It involves a salvific yes. peace, and so it's not just a harmless practice. Mm-mm. And so, if we were in, encouraging someone who had converted to Christianity and they were wanting to continue to participate in this, yeah. there would be it wouldn't just be a harmless practice, but mm-hmm. it would actually be counter to what we believe the gospel is in the path to salvation. Yes, it would certainly encroach on the atoning work of Christ. Okay. Absolutely. So we should probably say, as we turn our attention to what this verse in 1 Corinthians Mm -hmm. actually means, Mm -hmm. that if if we're engaging with a friend or co-worker who practices baptism for the dead, Mm -hmm. a reinterpretation of this verse is not going to be what convinces them otherwise but it will be a larger understanding of the unfolding redemptive plan of God in in the way to God through Christ in this life. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Baptism for the dead as in as regards Mormon theology does not fit into the larger framework of redemption. No. Okay. So to be clear, our our interpretation of this verse is not a silver bullet to nope. to subvert this long-standing practice. Nope. 
And, uh, of course, Mormons aren't the only ones who have practiced baptism for hmm. the dead. You know, so we have records in other places of this, huh. in church history and elsewhere. And so, so we need to just know that perhaps there are others outside of the LDS mm-hmm. church that would, you know, participate in this mm-hmm. in one form or another. Sure. So I think we should start by reading the text in question and then examining several possible interpretations, or at least historic interpretations, and just noting along the way that any interpretation will include some level of speculation, Mm -hmm. because this phrase doesn't occur anywhere else in the New Testament, and it's used as part of a larger argument, Mm -hmm. and the only statements are rhetorical questions. And so there's no prescription here, there's no further information, And so we want to do our best to understand what Paul is saying, but we also have to just admit we're speculating. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so if someone takes a different interpretation, as long as that interpretation coheres with Paul's use of this phrase in the argument, we can happily disagree Mm -hmm. and it impacts nothing. Yep. So could you read 1 Corinthians 15, 29? Yeah, so this is coming from the ESV. Here's what it says. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Okay, that's it's helpful that you read it out of the ESV. As I read out of the Christian Standard Bible, it says, Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? Mm-hmm. If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them? Hmm. And at our church, we have talked a lot about using multiple Bible translations in our Bible study. And we often say that the one of the main purposes for doing that is when you see translations disagreeing, you know that there's probably an important interpretive conversation mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And in this case, it happens to be the preposition where the CSB renders it baptized for Four. the dead, yeah. and the ESV renders it baptism uh, or baptized on behalf of the dead. Yeah, so would it be fair saying the CSB chooses a more generic form in order to leave it yeah, open to yeah. interpretation on your own? Yep, so the CSB w- doesn't want to make an interpretive decision for you, mm-hmm. whereas the ESV has made an interpretive decision for you mm-hmm. here. And so the, it's a preposition. Prepositions are just notoriously flexible mm-hmm. in the way that you use True. them in English as well as Absolutely. in Greek. Yep. And so we'll just walk through some potential interpretations, mm-hmm. uh, but know that even with the Bible translation you're reading, mm-hmm. it, it will lean towards one or the other. Yes. Now, one thing I really appreciate about the CSB is the tra- the footnotes at the bottom, and it gives the footnote on behalf of the dead or on account of hmm. the dead. Okay. So I'll emphasize the importance of those as we go. But the first possible interpretation is that Paul might just be simply referring to a cultic practice common at Corinth. Hmm. And so we know from studying ancient history and even Judaism that baptism was not unique to Christianity. Hmm. And so it may be, some have suggested, that Paul is just referring to a cultic practice that happened in Corinth that it's an erroneous practice, and it's so obviously outside of the realm of Christianity that he doesn't even need to comment on its Mm. inappropriateness. Mm -hmm. But what he's trying to do there is say that even these individuals who deny a resurrection 
by their actions show that deeply within them they believe in a resurrection. Mm -hmm. I understand why people would lean towards that argument. But because there's nothing in the text that would point us that way. So other times when Paul has referenced the Christian practice, it's been really clear. Mm-hmm. He's he's either quoting from their letter or referencing something they're doing. Yep. Here, there's no indication that that's what's at stake. And then furthermore, as far as I've read, there's no back, historical background information that would provide a common practice established for baptism for the dead in the same way that there is sacrificing meat to idols. Yeah. You know, so we don't have the same historical information. Yeah. What do you, do you, what do you think? Is that fair to disregard this interpretation? I think so. Yeah. Since, yeah, I, I, I do, I do want to say the last part of the interpretation, like, um, that, Regardless, it's not a word of affirmation to begin with. And I think in some ways you can apply this to every single one of these options that we have. Mm-hmm. Like, regardless of what's happening, it doesn't seem that Paul is necessarily putting a stamp of approval on them. Is yes. that fair? Yeah. So so he's just quickly brushing by. Mm-hmm. And they understood what he was saying. Mm-hmm. So that rhetorical question had power yeah. for his argument. Yeah. So then moving on to the second, more traditional explanation. Mm -hmm. Um, Early church fathers, others have seen this Mm -hmm. reference to the baptism of the dead as baptism by proxy, Mm -hmm. where living Christians would be baptized on behalf of Christians who had died without ever receiving baptism. Now, this would stand in distinction to what you described, Mm -hmm. because it's baptism for those who are already saved. Hmm. As opposed to baptism for those who were, you know, part of an apostasy mm-hmm. deception, having never received the gospel. Right. And right. so these, this interpretation would envision a situation where there was a Christian who had, who had come to faith and perhaps had died wanting baptism, but having never received it. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, someone from the assembly would be baptized by proxy mm-hmm on their behalf Hmm. uh, in some sort of a ritual. I think that there's very little from the text that would indicate this is happening. Hmm. And while there are certainly, you can find places in church history where this has been practiced, I don't think that we can find anything particular to Corinth as we learn from 2 Corinthians or any other background information that this was something going on. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, it's not mentioned in the rest of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And though it's maybe an argument from silence, we would expect other apostles to to talk about Mm -hmm. this and for this to be prescribed. Mm -hmm. And it's not. And so I, I don't follow this interpretation simply because nowhere else in the New Testament supports it. However, I think this is that would it would be harmless for someone to do this. And so while if if someone came to our church who wanted to be baptized on behalf of their dead relative or another dead Christian, we would not do that. Yeah. If we knew that someone had done that, we would say, we think that's misguided. Yeah. We don't think it's accomplishing anything because that's not what baptism is. Right. But we also don't think you're sinning to, to mm. do that. We would just say there's nothing to it. Well, it, it might depend on what they what their belief on 
you have to go back. What, what do you think baptism is doing? What do you think mm-hmm. baptism is to begin with? Mm-hmm. And as far as that, you think it's important enough for you to do it for a, a previous relative. Mm-hmm. So why is that important? So what is baptism? Being? So that, that's a opening to a great conversation yeah. with that person. And it may, cause it may be if their understanding could be, you know, anti gospel understanding yeah. of what baptism means yeah. to begin with. So. Exactly. You'd, you'd want to ask questions. Mm-hmm. You'd want to figure out why, we would never suggest that because we don't think it's a New Testament practice. Mm-hmm. But given the reception history of this text mm-hmm. in earlier Christians having understood it in this way, we certainly would want to be gracious with anyone yeah. who would think that it's prescribed yeah. or at least implied yeah. here. Yeah. A third interpretation or explanation of this text is that th- this phrase, Christians being baptized for the dead, should be understood in terms of Christians being baptized on account of the dead. Mm -hmm. And the preposition could be used that way. And there would be a couple of ideas at play here. One idea would simply be that there are individuals who knew Christians and they knew that baptism in some way connected that individual to the church and to Christ and that relative, friend, Christian passed away, and they wanted hope of being with them in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And and so they would look at baptism as this mystical connection to Christ and hope of resurrection mm-hmm. and being with this friend, this loved one in the new life and seeing baptism as a key piece to that. Huh. That's an interpretation that has become a lot more uh, well-received in recent years. Mm-hmm. And so uh, N.T. Wright references it in, mm-hmm. in the resurrection of the Son of God. And um, I, I don't think that that's totally off. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe someone could be thinking, Grandma was a Christian. She was baptized, which signals in part hope in a future resurrection. I want to be with Grandma. I believe in Christ. I should be baptized too, so that I'll be with her someday. Okay. So the pro of that interpretation is that it connects to the key idea of baptism Mm -hmm. is Paul's using it in the argument, which is connection to hope in a future resurrection. Mm -hmm. The con of that idea is putting motivation for baptism less in being united to Christ Mm -hmm. in the hope of the resurrection and more in being connected with the loved Mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Again, I think this interpretation would be relatively harmless. Yes. I, you know, in the same way that someone who has an added motivation to come to faith in Christ because they want to be with their loved ones in heaven someday, mm-hmm. is a we don't want to say use that as an evangelism technique. Yeah. You know, say, yeah. <laughs> do you want to be with grandma or not? Right. You know, but it's it's maybe harmless on the other hand. Yeah. I also reject this one though because. That hope is never talked about. We, we never talk about resurrection in terms of being united to a loved one in particular, mm-hmm. being raised to the community of Christ's kingdom, yes, being united with Christ and raised with him, yes. Uh, so could this be what's going on possibly? I'm not convinced of it because there's no evidence. It's just speculation. Sure, sure. And it's harmless speculation. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that even <clears throat> in the realm of Mormonism, um, the family unit is so central to how they, um, I want to say advertise in one sense. And so for them, 
that is a, a mm-hmm. primary motivation that the one of the main points of heaven as as they would understand it is to be with family the idea of eternal families is incredibly yeah. important and it certainly overshadows spending eternity yeah, and, on Christ. And, and that's where we look at Jesus is uniquely the one who divides family yes. and creates a new family. Yes. And so so knowing that we think about salvation that way, of our deepest connections that way, I, I again, if someone interpreted it that way, that's a helpful explanation for that phrase. Yep. But I think a better way to take this phrase to understand baptism for the dead or baptism on account of the dead is in terms of the witness and testimony of saints who have gone before. Mm. And, and so baptism on account of these believers who've gone before us, who are baptized is a declaration of their resurrection hope. Mm-hmm. And they've passed on in death, yet their hope remains. And we embody that resurrection hope when we carry on in that tradition in sure. our own baptism. Sure. So when Paul is asking, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead or on account of the dead? He's just saying, where what hope is there then in mm-hmm. the in the resurrection that's pictured there? Mm-hmm. So one commentator explains that Paul is saying something like this: Look at those eager baptismal candidates. Look at their faith. They do not doubt that those among us who have fallen asleep will rise on the last day. It is their firm faith in the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the dead that moves them to baptism. Mm-hmm. This is what you once believed. Come back to your sen- senses. Hmm. You know, that's his paraphrase of huh. what's going on there. And I think that's the most likely explanation of hmm. what's happening. Hmm. So Paul's pointing to the death and resurrection symbolized by baptism and simply asks the Corinthian church, why would they even participate in something like this if they didn't think that those who had died and right. participated in this symbol of resurrection hope were actually going to be raised? Yeah. It would be meaningless. Mm-hmm. That fits best in the string of three rhetorical movements where Paul talks about baptism on account of the dead. And then he talks about his own uh, facing of danger in the proclamation of the Mm -hmm. gospel. And then in in that third segment, um, I I forget what the exact language of the text is. Uh, but but the rationality of a Christian ethic, mm-hmm. you know, why don't we just eat, drink, be yeah. merry, and then we're going to die? Yeah. He's saying that there would be no rationality without the resurrection. So in all of these things, if if there's death and nothing, there's no rationality. Yep. And so for for us to understand it in terms of for the dead, we're being baptized for the hope that is for the dead, for this body of death that will be raised to life. Mm-hmm. I think that makes the most sense of the text. It involves the least speculation, mm-hmm. and it would explain why that phrase is followed by these two other elements of the Christian life, ministry and martyrdom, mm-hmm. and, and ethics, that would be irrational without the resurrection. Yep. Yeah, and it's something we can say by, um, by looking at other passages of Scripture mm-hmm. as well. And sometimes with things like this, it's it's important to know what you the point at which you can affirm, <laughs> and then when it becomes speculation from that point on. It's fine to speculate, but how much can you affirm biblically from mm-hmm. other parts of the Bible? Or like it, it at least means this, and I think that's a really helpful way of looking at yeah. it. Yeah. And what whatever we decide this means. Mm-hmm. We, of course, recognize that there's a limited amount of information. Mm -hmm. It's not a prescription or a command. Mm -hmm. It's a passing question. Mm -hmm. 
And in that question, there's a reference to baptism, which serves in large part a picture of being submerged into the waters of death Mm -hmm. and raised to newness of life. Mm -hmm. And so if the resurrection is not real, baptism is irrational and pointless. Seems like it's an awesome emphasis that we, that I don't see very often in a given baptism at like, let's say, say my church where there's an emphasis on, um, resurrection from the dead. Like we're talking about raised to walk in newness of life, which is Mm -hmm. part of that. But I think we have a tendency to, to divorce the newness of life with ultimate resurrection from the dead in Christ. And that's, that's great. I mean, that's something to focus on. Um, when you're instructing your people on what baptism means. Yeah, and I think that's what Paul is trying to drive the Corinthians to Mm -hmm. understand, especially as he gets to this final section of the text, where earlier he's argued that if Christ didn't raise from the dead, your faith is in vain. He's saying Christ has risen from the dead, so not only is your faith not in vain, your work in this life is not in Mm -hmm. vain, in other words, you're participating in resurrected eternal life now mm. in the already not yet. Yep. And we look forward to the day when that will come to completion. And our baptism pictures both. Amen. Thanks for talking, Aaron. Yeah. It's been good to discuss baptism. And thank you especially for your insights into, into this practice in a different religious context.